everyone, and welcome back to the Philosophy of Fitness podcast, episode number 47. My name is Haley. I'm going to be your host today and every single day that you're tuning in. Guys, 47 episodes. Can you believe it? Oh my gosh. We are so close to 50, and that has me so freaking excited. So hi, guys. I hope you're doing well. Um, I wasn't here last week. I was on vacation. I went down to Florida. It was beautiful. It was amazing. It didn't rain once the entire time that I was down there. So I was super uh, thankful for that. I spent a lot of time at the beach. I had some ice cream. It was fun. It was great. So that's why there was no episode last week. But we are back. We are here, ready to go. I'm so excited and I'm so happy to be back. And I have some exciting news too, some exciting life updates that have been going on. So right before I left, I was studying for my nutrition certification. So I've been studying to become a nutrition coach for a couple of months here. You know, it's it's been something that I've been really working towards and wanting to learn so much more about and The day before we left for our trip, I passed my exam, so I'm so excited. So now I can say that I'm a certified personal trainer and also a certified nutrition coach. So I'm really, really excited for that. Um, So I just figured I'd share that, which is basically the inspiration for today's episode. Today, I wanted to dive into nutrition myths, things that I've heard friends think are true, things that I once thought were true and that I've realized are totally false. So I picked out some of the main myths that I thought were really popular, things that I used to believe, and I'm going to go through them all and kind of debunk them, share my thoughts. Again, these are really just my opinions, so take them with a grain of salt, but do know that a lot of the stuff that I'm going to be sharing with you here today is not, you know, just based on whatever I think, like there is evidence to back it up as well. So if you're interested in hearing some crazy nutrition myths and actually learning the truth about nutrition, then you know what to do. Go ahead and stay tuned. All right. So I want to start this by saying that nutrition is definitely something that's not one size fits all. I think nutrition is really catered to the individual. Every single person has different needs, different preferences, different upbringings, cultural things that make nutrition really hard to just kind of like generalize for everybody. So just know that going into this, that something that works for me is not going to work for you. It's not going to work for the person, you know, next to you, the other person listening to this, whatever. Everything is really individualized when it comes to nutrition. And I think a lot of it comes down to knowing yourself, knowing your body, your preferences, your habits. There's so much that goes into nutrition beyond just our diet. A lot of it I've realized also plays into our psychology of our mindset of these patterns that we've had for years, you know, things and and ways that we've been brought up and things that we've been led to believe about ourselves that cause us to sometimes even just get stuck in a rut nutritionally or think that we're doing the right thing, but we're not. We're feeling like we're trapped, feeling like we can't get to that next level. So I do want to start this with saying that, that again, nutrition is totally personal to you. So just understand that. So I've got a list here of some big things that I think are really popular. And again, these are just things that I've I've heard people talk about in my life and are things that I have also been led to believe at one point or another. So we're going to just like kind of run through this list. All right. So here is the first one. You need protein right after you work out. This one is huge. And this is something that I definitely believed. And for a very long time, I would be so focused on making sure that I had my protein right after I went for my lift and that I always was replenishing that protein stash like immediately. 
but it's not necessarily true in the sense that you might think. So unless you've been exercising on an empty stomach, which is going to kind of tie into our next point, you don't necessarily need protein immediately after your workout, Um, but you might benefit from an appropriate dosage of protein for your body. It usually depends. So usually you want somewhere from 0.24 to 0.6 grams per kilogram of body weight. So that's just something to keep in mind. And usually you'd want to consume that within the uh, few hours following your workout. So that's something called your anabolic window. That's when we can maximize the gains, as people say, is that anabolic window, that sweet spot of time where you can replenish that protein stash. I actually think that the most powerful thing would be to combine your protein with carbs, especially for somebody that's doing cardio alongside your lifting and you've been you know, working out vigorously for upwards of 60 minutes, definitely replenish that stash. But don't get caught in the mindset that you think you need to immediately have it within a half hour of lifting and then all of your gains are going to be gone. That's not necessarily true. I think bigger picture wise, what's smarter to focus on is how much protein you're getting throughout your entire day. So Not necessarily fretting so much over, you know, if you're on the go and you don't necessarily have time to get the protein in, that's okay. Just make sure that you're getting enough protein throughout the day as well. And kind of just like a side note on this that I'm just thinking about now too is that protein is the kind of thing that you really want to have at every single meal. So it's not so much that you want to eat like 100 grams of protein in one sitting. If you space it out evenly over the course of the day, you're going to make sure that you're constantly keeping up with that protein supply. And I think you'll be able to maximize your gains a little bit more with that. So just keep that in mind. Don't sweat it if you're not getting that protein right away. You will still have your gains. You will still be building muscle as long as you are cognizant and you are aware of how much protein you're getting throughout the entire day. You're going to be good to go. And if you want to, you know, figure out what your protein needs are, it totally depends on your activity level, your sex, your height, your weight, all of these other things. But it is possible to figure that out. You can work with a nutrition coach, someone like me, to help you figure out what it is that you might need. All right. So number two, this is a hot one. And this is one that I actually have some of my friends who are personal trainers um, who follow this and swear by it. But I don't necessarily think it's true. And that is that fasted cardio helps you burn fat. There's a lot of people I know that follow intermittent fasting, that they swear by this. They wake up in the morning, they don't have any breakfast, they hit the gym totally depleted, and they uh, really feel like that's the thing that has led them to maximize their workout success, maximize their fat burning potential. But it's not necessarily true. So the data does not support this notion that it will lead to long-term weight loss. And not to mention, you're probably not going to have the same energy levels that you would Uh, if you had something to eat before. So this is the biggest thing for me is think about it. You can't run a car on fumes. And if you're someone like me, if I don't if I don't eat before I work out, I will get dizzy and I will feel like I'm on the verge of passing out. I don't know what it is about me. It's it's probably just a blood sugar thing. But I am one of those people that Not that I need to eat a huge meal before I exercise, but I definitely need something in my system to keep me going. And if I'm running on fumes, I'm really not going to be able to give the workout the same amount of, you know, crushing it mentality, the same amount of, ah, I'm ready to get this as I would if I had something small beforehand. I mean, listen, if you're having like a little snack or, you know, something before your workout, if you're having a piece of fruit, you're having something small that is not going to be the deal breaker between you losing fat and not losing fat. If that is what you need to successfully complete your workout, if that's what you need to push you a little bit further, then do it. 
don't feel like you got to fall into this trap of the fasted cardio nonsense. If that doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. And I don't say this to discredit anyone that this does work for. I think that's amazing. I think it's awesome that you can do fasted cardio. But for me personally, I don't really feel like this message or meshes rather with me. So again, think about that from the energy standpoint, right? Energy in, energy out. If you're already in that depleted state, then you're again, you're not going to have necessarily the same amount of energy that you would if you just took a little bit of time to refuel, you know? It's totally fine to do that. I've got my uh, disposable water bottle today. I'm sorry, everybody who's uh, eco-friendly. I didn't have time to rinse my water bottle, but there we are with that. All right. So number three, crash diets are great in a pinch for weight loss. Oh my, this is... This is the one that bothers me the most, and this is also the one that I have the most experience with. So for those of you that have been following me for a while, I did an episode, I think, entirely on crash diets. It was like one of my first episodes. I'll try to link it or or leave a card to it. (sighs) Crash diets are so bad for you. If you take anything away from this podcast, please do not do crash diets, okay? They are not a long-term fix, and I'm going to explain to you why they are so bad. So basically... Um, crash diets, low energy diets. I forget what the cutoff is. I think it's anything below, anything below a thousand calories for sure is considered a low energy diet, but I've done crash diets. I'm not kidding you where they restrict you to 800 calories a day, which is insane. So I just want to break this down for you a little bit more. Everybody has something called an RMR. That's your resting metabolic rate. So that's literally how many calories you are burning just existing. So if you're sleeping, if you are in a coma, you're still burning calories. That is what that number is. Most people, I'm pretty sure, I'm going to make a generalization here, but I think most people, if you were to literally be in bed all day, not doing a thing, I think you would probably burn at least 1,200 calories a day. Just existing, that is literally just existing, breathing and sleeping. So when you think about it, right, that crash diet, 800 calories a day, 800 calories, that's the energy going in, the energy out is upwards of 1,200. Remember, 1,200 is probably what it would be if you were like a total vegetable. Most people are probably burning around 1,500 to 2,000 calories a day, like baseline. That is just an assumption I'm making. That is such an extreme deficit. And what happens is when we're in this extreme state of deficit, it totally wrecks your metabolism. Now, the thing is, you're going to see that weight loss fast, and it's not necessarily fat loss. And I think that's something people can get uh, confused with as well. You're losing water weight, first and foremost. You're in that extreme state of restriction. Your body's kind of just like, oh my God, what's happening? So you're going to be losing water weight. Not only are you losing water weight, but you're also entering starvation mode. So when you're in this restrictive state, like let's use my crash diet that I did if, like back in high school as, as an example. 800 calories a day. Your body is clinging on to every single little thing that's coming into it. Every single one of those calories, it's like I'm in starvation mode. I need this right now. I'm going to hold on to it. And yes, you will lose weight rapidly with this. I lost like 10 pounds in three days. Now understand I did not lose fat. That was not fat loss. My body was also probably eating away at my muscle mass as well. So I was losing water weight. I was losing muscle and even a little bit of fat too. But that's not what we want, right? We don't want to degenerate our muscle growth uh, for, for the sake of a diet. 
So, you know, you're in that state of deficit. You're eating 800 calories a day, which is so insane to even say that out loud that I was doing that. Blows my mind because at that time I was also doing insanity workouts. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but those are super high intensity workouts where I think you'd probably burn around five to 600 calories with that. So it's absolutely insane to think the a level of deficit that I was in. But what happens is when you do these crash diets, you see the quick fix, you see that immediate drop on the scale and you're cool with it, it's fine. But then what happens is when you start returning to your normal eating pattern, your body is going to hold on to every single thing because it still thinks that it's in starvation mode because it's just been through this severe gauntlet of this crazy caloric deficit that now all of a sudden everything that's coming in, it thinks it's got to hold on to every little piece of it. So you're actually just going to wind up gaining the weight back fast and even sometimes like in addition to what you lost. I remember I did a couple cycles of this crash diet. It was the military diet. If you guys are interested in looking that up, I'll see if I can put up a picture of of what it was. It was disgusting. It wasn't even healthy. They had you eat like toast with peanut butter, a hot dog. I remember hot dogs were a part of it. I remember vanilla ice cream was a part of it. It It was the strangest combination of foods. I think it's also referred to as the Birmingham cardiac diet. So if you're interested in looking that up, but it was horrible. I remember being super hungry when I did it, super not feeling great. And uh, yeah, it wrecks your metabolism because I gained all of that weight back and I even gained even more than what I lost. And uh, I really think that it fucked with my metabolism, I'm going to be completely honest. And something else to just go off of this too is like crash diets don't feel good. Think about how you feel. That's the other part of this too is like a more intuitive approach to eating. You know, are you feeling alive? Are you feeling vibrant? Are you feeling energized by what you're eating? When you're in this extreme state of deficit and you're eating hot dogs and a scoop of vanilla ice cream, it's probably not going to make you feel the most alive. So just please exercise caution when you're looking at any of these crash diets. I would absolutely not recommend any of you partake in a crash diet under any circumstance, that's my opinion, unless there's some crazy situation. Um, again, I think these this was called the cardiac diet because it was for obese people that needed heart surgery, so maybe that's fine. But in any other situation, it's not necessary. Understand that the small little changes that you make are what are actually going to bring you to more sustainable weight loss. So that is my rant oh, with crash diets. I hate them. I love to hate them. All right. Number four, sugar-free and fat-free is healthier. This is another common one, and I think this falls under the umbrella of deceptive marketing tactics when it comes to food companies, brands, whatever it is that they're selling, they're putting out. You say, oh, sugar-free syrup. Awesome. This is so cool. Or, you know, fat-free yogurt, or I don't know what else people make that's fat-free, like fat-free cheese, reduced fat this, reduced fat whatever. So, Again, this is really, uh, this is actually really connected to the next one, but this is really something where you've got to take a step back and look at things from the big picture. So I'm going to use sugar-free drinks as an example. So let's take like sugar-free, I don't know, even something like Diet Coke. Let's take Diet Coke. I'm actually going to look up right now what the ingredients are in Diet Coke. So Most people can agree, you know, regular Coca-Cola is obviously not good for you. Actually, I'm going to look up for the hell of it. Coca-Cola sugar per serving. 
and see what they give. We all know that Coca-Cola is not good for you. Oh, my God. All right. Place your bets at home listening to this right now. Coca-Cola for a regular serving has 64 grams of sugar. Oh, my God. That's insane. Not to mention that's added sugar, too, guys. That's not like fruit source sugar. That is all added. So, okay. That's a truth. I think we could all agree on Coca-Cola is not healthy. Now you take Diet Coke. This I'm going to sort of put under the umbrella of like the sugar-free, fat-free food just to kind of give you an example is that usually when this happens, when there's a product that says it's fat-free, it's sugar-free, that has been removed from the product, but then something else has been put in to replace it that removes it from its natural state. So if you're really looking at things from a holistic point of view, from a true nutritional point of view, you want things as close to the natural thing as you can possibly get. So to me, red flag is when things say sugar-free, fat-free, because I know in my mind instantly that's going to tell me that there's some other funky shit in there that I'm probably not going to be a fan of. So for the record, I'm just going to tell you what is in Diet Coke. So first ingredient, uh, carbonated water, caramel color. Phosphoric acid, natural flavor, aspartame, that is an um, artificial sweetener, uh, contains, I never know how to say this word, phenylalanine. I don't know how to say that, <laughs> um, but that is something that's in aspartame. I've seen that before. Uh, potassium benzoate, caffeine, potassium citrate, blah, 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 blah. All right. So basically what I want to point out to you here is that it's not... Um, it's not that much healthier for you. And the reason I say this is because artificial sweeteners in themselves are a really slippery slope. I know aspartame in particular has been linked to cancer. It is a carcinogen, I'm pretty sure. But the other thing is that sometimes these artificial sweeteners and sugars can react really negatively with your gut health, um, with your system as a whole. I know a lot of people are very sensitive to artificial sweeteners. People can become nauseated by them, super bloated. Um, artificial sweeteners in and of themselves are usually not the healthiest route to go because, again, it is a chemical, right? It's not something that's naturally found within the food. Now, that doesn't say that you know, regular Coca-Cola is something that you should be drinking every day with 64 grams of sugar in it. Obviously, it's not the best choice, but I think if you're somebody that's looking at this, you know, from a holistic standpoint, you've got to kind of weigh both sides. Obviously, if you're switching from regular Coke to Diet Coke, you're going to see weight loss because you're not having that same amount of energy coming in. Remember that weight loss is when you're in a caloric deficit. So by cutting out the sugar, you're scaling back on the calories that you're consuming. But in place of that, you're putting a lot of chemicals into your body, a lot of synthetic things, things that are not natural, things that are not meant to be there. So long term, you know, diet can help you cut back on that weight gain. I think that's a, a good first step if there's, if there's somebody that's like really they need their Coca-Cola every day. But I think from there, trying to transition to something that's more natural is the way to go. There are natural sweeteners too that are better for you. I think stevia is one of them. Um, monk fruit is one of them as well. But these chemicals like aspartame are definitely, definitely not super healthy to be drinking every single day, especially in huge quantities. If you're someone that drinks like 10 cans of Coke a day, um, it's probably not optimal for your health. So just keep that in mind. And again, the same thing goes for, you know, fat-free foods. Think about what is, in order for that to be removed, for the food to still taste and feel complete, they're putting something into it. So this is really when you've got to take that step back, read the labels, 
think about what's going into your body there. Super powerful. Other thing um, going off of labels is uh, this kind of misconception that foods that are labeled as natural are healthier. This one is um, another really popular one. I see people say, oh, well, it's all natural. That must mean it's good. That is not necessarily true. Um, So I have a few things to say here. So for foods other than meat, the FDA steps in a little bit, um, but they do not have a formal definition of what natural means. But that might be changing soon. Um, It kind of depends what they're doing. So basically, the FDA considers uh, natural any food to which nothing artificial or synthetic was added that would not normally be expected in there or that food. So that's pretty vague, right? There's a lot, um, you know, that could be termed under that umbrella. A little more precisely, the FDA states that a product without colorants or synthetic substances can be labeled natural. So... uh, The USDA must approve label claims for meat, including the natural, no hormones, no antibiotics claims. Um, But what the natural means is really just that the product is no more minimally processed and doesn't contain any artificial ingredients, including preservatives or artificial flavoring or coloring. Um, But the slippery slope with this is that it doesn't necessarily mean that the cow wasn't given antibiotics, that the cow wasn't given growth hormones, anything like that. Um, And this is really popular with like milk and meat. So if the hormones or antibiotics were given to the cow, they might be found in that meat, um, which means that it would then contain artificial ingredients. Um, But, I mean, do we really know if the meat is actually tested? I think so many companies get away with saying that things are natural. The other thing under here is, you know, GMOs and pesticides can absolutely be considered something that would be able to slip into this. Like I think about granola bars, cereals, things like that that are super popular that say all natural. And you think you're eating something healthy because it says that it's natural. But you don't know, again, GMOs. That's a whole other rabbit hole or pesticides, what's being thrown in there. You really don't know. It's so vague. I think the FDA is super vague with a lot of things, which is kind of frustrating. Um, but it's pretty crazy. So the natural claim only covers products, processing, and ingredients. Um, and the answer seems to be that a piece of beef can be labeled natural, even if the originating cow was given hormones or antibiotics. So there's your answer right there. Just because your meat says it's natural doesn't mean that the cow was, you know, grass fed and given this amazing diet. Like they are still slipping stuff through the cracks. Um, which is really eye-opening. This should be eye-opening to you as well. I mean, stuff slips through the cracks, especially with supplements too with uh, the FDA. Supplements aren't regulated, by the way, if you guys didn't know that. Um, That could be a whole other episode. Next one, salt is bad for you. This is popular as well. I actually remember that my grandma used to be so hyper-focused on sodium intake and she still reads the labels all the time with everything. I mean, she does deal with high blood pressure, so I understand that. So in her case, that's understandable, right? So salt reduction, you know, it's important for people that have salt-sensitive hypertension, which is like what I said my grandma has. Um, And excessive salt intake can exacerbate that. So that's understandable if you're trying to watch your sodium. But that drastic intake um, in salt actually might be more risky than beneficial, especially if you're someone that's sweating a lot. If you're somebody that's moving, you need salt. Salt is sodium and sodium is absolutely critical to cell function, to everything in the body, as is potassium. So you've really got to make sure um, that you know, you're not super, super restricting your salt intake. But I will say most people, at least with a Western diet, are getting more than enough salt in their diet. 
But uh, again, unless, you know, you have some sort of condition, I don't think it's something that necessarily needs to be labeled in the group as a bad thing. Think about electrolytes, sodium and potassium. That's what you replenish when you're dehydrated. Your body needs that. Your cells need that in order to function properly. So again, it, it kind of is just like tit for tat. Think about your situation where you're at. Someone like me, I sweat a lot, especially with my job, with what I do. I work out twice a day, sometimes three times a day, and I'm sweating a lot. So it's very important to me to replenish my potassium levels, my sodium levels. So for me, I don't view salt as the bad guy. But again, everybody's different. So I leave you with that. And last one. Carbs make you fat. This one is super popular. People saying fat makes you fat. Carbs make you fat. I'm going to tell you right now, the answer is no. All right, the answer is no. There's no one food group that's going to make you fat. Calorie surplus is what makes you fat. So what does that mean? You're eating and you are consuming more than you're putting out. If you are trying to lose weight, Think of this from a mathematical standpoint. The answer is to be and exist in a caloric deficit. And that doesn't mean that it has to be extreme. Even a caloric deficit of, you know, 500 calories a day or 250 to 500 calories a day will lead to slow, sustainable weight loss. But it's really just simple math. Find out what your energy intake is usually per day. Find out, I think that's called TDEE. I'll leave a link to that in the description as well. You can figure that out. Figure out what your resting metabolic rate is. Think about your activity level, how that can factor into that. And uh, think about where you need to be in terms of what your goal is daily. So let's say for me, I burn around 3,000 calories a day according to my trusty Fitbit. Now that's like, that's on a day when I'm pretty active, but that's a typical day for me because I have a very active lifestyle. So let's just say with based on what this says, just to make an example, I burn 3000 calories a day. Now, I don't know what my resting metabolic rate is. I'd have to probably go into that calculator and check it. But if I were to consume 2500 calories a day, I would still be in a caloric deficit. Because I'm burning 3,000 calories, and by that math, that 500-calorie deficit is going to lead me to weight loss if that's what my goal is. So it really all comes down to numbers, understanding your body. Again, different people are more adept to certain diets. There's some people that really thrive with keto. There's some people that are crushing it on a vegan diet. There's some people that really feel that they're best when they're in that low-carb diet. Um, there's all different kinds of approaches, and you can start to learn and figure out what it is that works best for you based on your preferences, what you like, what feels good for you, and kind of just build it out from there. But just know that, again, there's no certain food group that you should totally write off, like carbs, fats, proteins, whatever. The caloric surplus is what's going to cause you to gain weight. So that is what I have for you today, guys. I hope you enjoyed this. This was a lot of fun. I'm really excited that I've been learning so much about nutrition and I'm super excited to be, um, you know, just like sharing my knowledge and putting stuff out there a little bit more and really trying to help you guys being honest about my lifestyle, what it is that I do, what I eat in a day, all that kind of stuff. Um, and this is really only just the beginning of it. Like I said, I just got that certification, so I'm super excited. But I will remind you, if you're listening over on Spotify or 
Apple Podcasts, whatever other streaming services there are. You can watch this whole thing on YouTube. You can come hang out with me. I'll leave a link in the description so you guys can check it out. If you haven't already, please subscribe to my YouTube YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Haley Noel. You can follow me on Instagram also. I do a lot of stuff related to the podcast over there. Shoot me a message. Let's chat. Uh, Let me know what you want to hear about on the show. And also, if you haven't already, please drop me a rating and a review. It really helps out the algorithm. It pushes this to more people so we can get more people coming into Philosophy of Fitness and have some fun over here. Thank you so much, guys. I love you all. I'm sending you so much health, wealth, success, happiness, abundance, peace, love, and joy. And I will see you next time. Bye.